6, verses 19 through 34, and no, I don't have last week's notes. We're in the same passage, and guess what? We're going to read it again next week as well. Stand with me, if you will, for the read of God's word. I, I tell you, I've been, um, as I've been in these, these words of Jesus, and these are the words of Jesus, and if there's ever words of Jesus that apply to our generation, our age, I think it's this little instruction here. I've been moved every time I've read through it because it's so personal. I feel like Jesus is talking to me and the cares of my life uh, that, that I would have an understanding and awareness uh, of where uh, my priorities should be. Verse 19, do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy, where thieves break in and steal. But store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in or steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. The eye is the lamp of the body, so that if your eye is clear, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light that is in you is darkness, how great is the darkness. No one can serve two masters. For either he will hate the one and love the other, or he'll be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God in wealth. For this reason I say to you, do not be worried about your life as to what you will eat or what you will drink, nor for your body as to what you will put on. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air. They do not sow, nor, they, nor reap, nor gather into barns, yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not worth much more than they? And who of you, by being worried, can add a single hour to his life? And why are you so worried about clothing? Observe how the lilies of the field grow. They do not toil, nor do they spin. Yet I say to you, not even Solomon in all his glory clothed himself like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which is alive today and tomorrow is thrown in the furnace, will he not much more clothe you, you of little faith? Do not worry then, saying, what will we eat, or what will we drink, or what will we wear for clothing? For the Gentiles eagerly seek all these things, for your heavenly Father knows that you need all these things. But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. So do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will care for itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. Lord, bless your word. Multiply it to our hearts. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. Certainly that last phrase in that passage, uh, do not worry about tomorrow for tomorrow will care for itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. Every time I've read that over the last few weeks, I think, amen. <laughs> uh, we have enough to care for in today that we often spend too much time worried about tomorrow. But, but we've been talking about habits in, in the last three weeks, in the last two weeks, it's the third week, and, and, and we've been dealing with this this ideal that habits shape life. You know, habits aren't just incidental in, in your life, and routines in your life aren't just in a, incidental, but, but most of our life is made up by the routine and the habits of our life. And, and so habits have a shaping effect in our life. And, and last week we dealt with the, the, the way habits affect our desire, and our habits shape our desires, the things that we desire in life. And what we desire drives our actions. So, so our habits and our routines work to, to create within us a desire or a heart or a liking for something, and these are the things that drives our actions. Uh, Matthew 6 
is all about seeking material things. And, and, and whether we will seek material things or whether we will seek God and whether the priority of our lives will be establishing and accumulating wealth or whether the priority of our life will be seeking after God. And, and Jesus concludes uh, this little portion of Scripture, these words, and says, Seek first His kingdom and His righteousness, and all these things shall be added to you. In other words, Jesus says, you know, the first habit, the first priority of your life, the first routine you need to establish in your life is this ideal of pursuing and seeking after God. You know, don't be like the Gentiles. Don't pursue all these other things. But wholeheartedly make it your habit of pursuing God. And all these other things will be taken care of. See, it's not that God doesn't care. If you're thankful for clothing this morning, say amen. Amen. I'm telling you, stand up here looking at everybody, I'm thankful for clothing. It'd be kind of awkward. You know, if you're thankful that you got to sleep in a house, say amen. <laughs> you know, you got to have cars, all these things, you know, all these food, and, you know, we have a lot to be thankful for, and God's mindful of those things, and, and God's say, not saying that they're not important in your life, but they're not the priority of your life. The priority of your life is your relationship with God. See, these, these clothes are temporary. It's only that relationship with God that's eternal. And, and whether you know, these clothes will deteriorate and this, these finances will disappear and this food will be ate and these houses will fall to the ground. But God is eternal. And Jesus is saying, you know, make your priorities right. Seek God first. And what we seek matters because what we seek shapes. Can you say that with me? What we seek shapes. The things that are priority of your heart, the things that you seek most, has a shaping effect in your life. We begin this ideal with, with the habit of seeking God first, and the habit of seeking God first allows God to shape the desires of my heart. As we seek God, as he becomes a priority in my life. As, and, and this is a lesson that I've learned in my life. And I know there's countless people in this congregation that can talk about how the, the more in-depth, how sincere they, they seek God, the, the, the more um, habitually they serve God and seek God. And, and the, the more that they find themselves in the word, the more they find themselves in prayer, the more God is able to reshape the desires of our hearts. And, and sometimes what we find is those things that we wanted to begin with, as we begin to seek after God, he changes what we want and the desires of our heart. And the things that seem so important become less important. See, as we seek God, he's able to, to shape our heart and, and shape the desires of our heart. And we've been talking about this habit of seeking God first. And, and we gave you resources last week. Last week in your insert, there were, there were some books and if you didn't get that and you want that, let me know, and we can find you some other resources. I also want you to know, I'll, I'll say this again, your pastoral staff is here to help you. I am here to be your pastor and encourage you along the way. And I'm here to, to, to walk beside you into a spiritual uh, 
a, a spiritual maturity. And, and we, will, we will meet with you individually, uh, Pastor Josh, Pastor Kim, Pastor Joe, Pastor Christy, myself. We will meet with you individually if you would like and, and help design a plan that works for you, that, that you can grow in your faith. That's the purpose of it all, right? Right? We're here to grow closer to Jesus Christ. And I want you to know that, that as, as your chief discipler, as your shepherd, as your pastor, I'm not here j- just to be served by you, but I'm here to serve you. And I will help you any way that I can. So, so we're called to seek God first. And, and the primary habit of seeking God first is prayer and Bible study. And we talked about that last week. But, but I think it's important that we touch on it just for a moment again. And let me ask you again, does your daily routine or habit include these two things? Is the Word, is the Bible routinely part of your day every day? I unashamedly tell you, folks, that as Ian Bounds wrote, there's no such thing as a non-praying Christian. It's it's like being a non-breathing human. You know, prayer is the breath of the Christian, and and central to the ideal of prayer is the ideal of God's Word. You know, if God, and sometimes God moves and speaks in our life and gives us particular direction in our life, but can can I tell you, the, the, the Bible is God's revealed Word to humankind. You find everything you need for life and salvation in the Word of God. And so it's impossible, it's impossible not to hear from God. All you have to do is pick up his word and read and you hear from God. So so I hope that that routinely through your day, you find yourself in prayer and Bible study. See, these are the two central means of spiritual formation, spiritual growth. It's very difficult to hear from God if we do not give him space to speak in our lives. Now, I I very carefully chose the word difficult because nothing's impossible with God. (laughs) You know, God God speaks how God wants to speak, and when God wants to speak, he will speak at times. Uh, There's a story in the Old Testament where God spoke to a donkey, and some of you are saying, well, God's doing that again today. You know, if God wants to speak, he's going to speak. Sometimes we don't hear him even when he wants to speak, I think. But, but, but if God wants to speak into your life, God will speak. But, but primarily, God allows us the opportunity to give him space to speak. We, we don't believe that God forces his will on us, but God allows us to participate. And are we creating intentional spaces in our life that God can speak? And last week I suggested a habitual pattern. Uh, throughout the day, morning, in the middle of the day, and at night. And, and I, I'm just mentioning this one more time. And, and, and I, I'm aware that, that sometimes, you know, and I, and I thought about this all week. I thought, I mean, is it too much? Pastor, am I, am, as a pastor, am I expecting too much or putting too much on people to suggest this multiple times during the day? I mean, am I being unreasonable? But then I started thinking about it. How many of you eat more than one time a day? How many of you eat up to eight times a day, right? You know, the truth of the matter is, when we're hungry, we eat. 
And, and sometimes that's more than three times a day. Could it be that sometimes we're just not hungry enough for God? That, that our desire is not there? And, and I think the thing to do is just pray, Lord, can you increase my desire for you? Can, can you make me aware that this McDonald's Happy Meal that I'm eating <laughs> is not near as important as your word in a time of prayer? But this week, we're going to talk about something even funner. Um, we're going to talk about money. Hey! Seeking God first in our finances. And we're going to talk about the habit of tithing. And I've subtitled this, Submitting Our Finances to God. The habit of tithing allows God to give me a kingdom perspective with regard to my possessions. The habit of tithing allows God to give me a kingdom perspective with regard to my possessions. So I, I think it's important that before we go any further in, in this message, that the ushers lock the back doors and maybe do some definitions. What is the tithe? We, we see the tithe very early on in the book of Genesis. And Abraham joins a major battle, and, and we find Abraham paying homage to the king of Salem, who later in Hebrews we find is this great high priest of God. And Abram takes back and gives to, to the king of Salem 10% of, of all that he owns as an offering to God, he, this, this chief priest, this priest for God. Something, tithing is something that, that God has used throughout with his people. We, we find it throughout the law. God calls the, the children of Abraham out of captivity. This becomes the nation of Israel, and they, they, they become a nation in captivity. And in the book of Exodus, God calls them out. And then after, in the book of Exodus, beginning in the book of Exodus, then in Leviticus, and he begins to give them the law. And it's within the law that God gives this concept of the tithe, which is, which is a, a 10% Offering And in Leviticus 27, 30, God says, A tithe of everything from the land, whether grain from the soil or fruit from the trees, belongs to the Lord. It is holy to the Lord. So God says, I want you to give it a tenth of all that you produce. And I know some of you, your, your brains are spinning. You're going, well, I'll give God all that I grow because <laughs> I don't grow anything. But, but there's a bigger principle here. God's talking about what you produce. This is an agrarian society. This is how they produced. And God's saying, 10% of what you produce, give back to me. Then we find in Numbers the, the, the purpose of this. Why? Why? was this given to God? In Numbers 18.21, it says, I give to the Levites all the tithes in Israel as their inheritance in return for the work they do while serving in the tent at the tent of meeting. So, so we have these two concepts. We have the Levites and we have the tent of meeting. The, the tent of meeting, the Levites, represented God's redemptive work in this world. The, these were the guys that were chiefly responsible with being a connecting force between a connecting group between the people and God. And God's saying, I want you to use this tithe to, to, to further my redemptive work in the Old Testament. It was not an offering to be burned, but it was given to those with the obligation to further the mission the Levites. Now, now before we go any further, I, I don't want the, I am not suggesting that I'm a Levite and every 10% needs to come. Okay, if I take a deep breath. Okay? 
But there's a principle here. And the principle is this. Tithing is giving 10% of what is earned back to further God's mission in this world. In other words, God's got a redemptive plan in this world. God's got a redemptive mission in this world. And the tithe is intended to support that redemptive mission. I always give this disclaimer, and I forgot to give it before. If you're visiting with us on this Sunday morning, I am so sorry. I don't preach on tithing every week. Okay, uh, th- this, is, this is an important, I believe it's an important principle even if you're visiting with us, but, but this is not always what we talk about in here. Right, people? Right, oh, thank you. In the New Testament, this obligation to further God's mission was passed to the church. See, see God has always moved through a people. From the time of Adam and Eve, God chose a line, a people to work through, a clan, a family. And then God worked through his people, Israel. There has always been a group of people that God is moving through. And now God is moving through the church. I'm not sure why we apologize for that. But i got to tell you, in in this age, there seems to be almost an apologetic feel for the ideal that the church is furthering God's purpose and mission in this world. It was not my ideal. I did not invent the church. I didn't start the church. God did. And I believe this local body of believers, this church called Marysville Church of the Nazarene, belongs to God and is here to serve God's purpose. So the local church is an extension of God's mission in this world. Now, now I'm not suggesting that God doesn't move in other ways other than through the church? I think he does. And I'm not even even suggesting that this local church is the only expression. We don't believe that at all, do we? Folks, there are literally dozens of other expressions of God's mission throughout this community. And aren't we thankful for them? You know, we need to be praying for the other churches in Marysville because we're not in competition with them. They're, They're our teammates. And when they win, we win. So God's mission is being accomplished by all sorts of churches throughout this community. And we rejoice in every victory that's won there, every soul that's saved. I think even in our day, there's even other forms of the church. And we see in our age a a very vibrant house church movement. Folks, i got to tell you, as a pastor, as long as the principles of the church, as long as people are being discipled, as long as they're reaching, as long as they're serving, as long as they're doing all those things, that's not just an excuse to stay home. I'm all for it. You know, we see different expressions of the church. We had Mike Benson as an evangelist here, and on Thursday night, he had biker church. (laughs) That's probably not how we do church. But, But I'm not limiting how God does church, are you? You know, I'm thankful for the biker church because I believe they're reaching people we would never reach. Josh's uncle, Bob, has cowboy church. Cowboy church is the funnest church you'll ever be to. I mean, it's just awesome. It's it's great. And they preach from a saddle. You know, there's many expressions of the church, but the church is God's plan, God's way of, of accomplishing 
his redemptive mission in this world. And this local church is an extension of God's mission. Now, I love this local church, and, and I, I love the people here, and I, I love the transparency of our church. Harold Green's not in the second service. Usually he's in the first service, and Harold's our treasurer, and Harold's as honest as, as can be and as diligent as can be. And, and I tell you, by, by the second week of every month, this church has all of its finances hanging on the wall outside my office. Every dollar that's given and, and how it's spent is you, you get to see my salary every month. Isn't that a great thing? You know, it makes me real comfortable. But it's there. There's no hidden, anything hidden. You, our finances are an open book. And, and I think that's a blessing in this church that, that you can do that. There are some who will say, well, this is an Old Testament requirement, not a New Testament requirement. And I agree. But when I say that, the Old Testament requirement was 10%. And the New Testament standard is liberality and generosity. And I've never seen, if you guys can find one, I've never found an Old Testament principle that when you get to the New Testament, Jesus doesn't amplify. Jesus says, you know, the Old Testament says, you shall not murder. And the New Testament says, you shall not even hate. <laughs> you see, when we get to the, the, the New Testament, all these principles of the Old Testament are, are just the basis, just the beginning. It's, just, it's, just where, it's the bare minimum of what God's wanting to do. In Matthew 23, 23, Jesus says, Woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites. You give a tenth of your spices, mint, dill, and cumin. In other words, Jesus is saying, if you find a dime on the street, you give a penny in tithe. That you've neglected the more important matters of the law, justice, mercy, and faithfulness. You should have practiced the latter without neglecting the former. In other words, Jesus is saying, this tithing's good, but I'm calling you to more. I'm calling you to generosity on top of tithe. I'm calling you to justice on top of tithe. Why am I doing this message? Is the church in financial trouble? <laughs> and that why pastors preach on... Let me give you the top 10 signs your church has stopped giving. This is from Stan Toller. Instead of using the baptistry, you use a moist towel. Number nine, you have to siphon gas from the church van from the Catholic Church. From the fellowship hall, you start hearing phrases B13, N8, O12. First-time visitors are asked to clean the church before they leave. The pastor drives a Yugo. <laughs> uh, church dinners are held at Sam's Club on sample days. That's not a bad idea. The phrase flip the AC on has now been changed to crack a window. <laughs> uh, you only need one usher. The church sound system is a megaphone, and silent offerings are really silent. <laughs> the truth of the matter is we're not in financial distress. The, the, the things have been going well financially for the church, and giving's good, and, and we're, we're, we're living right according to our budget, and, you know, we're, we're a blessed church. That's not the purpose of this message. It's not that all of a sudden I thought, well, I better preach on tithing because we need giving to go up. We are a blessed church, but I, I would say this, to whom much is given... Much is expected. I would say as blessed as this church is, we need to be making a greater impact in our community. Amen? But vision always outpaces finances. 
Craig Rochelle, who is the pastor of Life Church. I believe that's in Arizona or somewhere in the southwest. I, I saw him at a Catalyst conference, and, and he said something to this effect. Vision is always bigger than finances. <laughs> in other words, there's directions and things that this pastor and your leaders in this church see this church moving in that, that we can't because of our finances. And I think that's kind of natural. I, I, I think no matter how much money we raise, there will all be, always be this element of vision being bigger than finances. But tithing's not only about the church. See, budgets are okay. We're okay. But it's not only about the church. See, I think tithing forms something in our lives. And so I think the more important question, what does the habit of tithing form in our lives? And, and, and where does the habit of tithing lead? Because the habit of tithing leads us somewhere. This Tuesday, we had a, um, a district training day in, in uh, St. Mary's. It's called Big Day. And, and Jeff Councilman, who's our district superintendent, you all got to know him last year quite a bit. Uh, but Jeff does some training. We, we saw a video uh, from a pastor, and, and God kind of challenged this pastor with this ideal. He, 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 the, he, God asked this man, do you want more from people, or do you want more for people? <laughs> In other words, as a pastor, sometimes it's possible up here for me to be just trying to drag things out of you, but, but as a pastor, my goal is to put things into you, to invest in you, and to, to build in you. And it's easy to see this concept of the tithe as some self-centered um, concept, some self-serving concept for myself, that, that as a pastor and as a leader of this church, that, that I'm, I'm preaching this sermon, and it's all about getting for the church. And, and, but it's more than that. See, see tithe's not just about the church, it's about those who give. As a matter of fact, if, if for some reason you think I'm just being self-serving and, and, and it's all about just trying to build up the church and, and, and you're having trouble seeing that, that the habit of tithing may benefit you, then I would encourage you to give to another church. And I know the board's going to beat me to death now. But i got to tell you, folks, if you're challenged on that and that's the only thing holding you back, give somewhere else. Because the habit of tithing is more important than this church. It's something that will build into you some order in perhaps finances that are chaotic. Tithing does four things. The habit of tithing. Not just in the church, but four things in your life. First, tithing makes me aware that all my possessions belong to God. Everything, not 10%, everything you have is God's. It's a gift from God. It's on loan from God. Do you have clothes on today? They're God's clothes. They are. Did you drive to church in a car today? That's God's car. You say, well, God, I'm going to take it home to you for a while, and can you get some of these tires replaced and car fixed for me, right? You know, the house you live in, it's God's. That 401K that you have, it's God's. Everything you have belongs to God, and we are merely stewards of what God has given us. And the tithe helps us. The habit of tithing helps us to see that it's not mine anyhow. I think tithing allows me to tangibly contribute to God's mission. In other words, 
I, I love offering time. You know why I love offering time? That's a time where you can put something tangibly in the offering plate that can be used to accomplish God's purpose and God's plan. It, it says when you tithe, God, I'm part of this. Whether I earned a dollar last week or I earned a million dollars last week, whatever I earned, I get to give 10% of it to you. And that, that dime or that whatever is being used to advance your kingdom. So, so there's no gift too small and no gift too large. That, that it's just participating in the kingdom. And tithing allows me to see that. Tithing makes me more God-dependent. Instead of self-dependent. If anybody's in here is all powerful and can create things by your word, will you raise your hand? I didn't think so. So isn't it better to be dependent on one who is all powerful, all knowing, and the creator of the universe instead of being dependent on somebody that can't hardly create anything? Tithing makes us or allows us to become more God-dependent. And finally, and I, I think this is probably the most important one, tithing begins the work of releasing me from the tyranny of materialism. What we seek shapes. Say that again with me. What we seek shapes. And in our world, folks, this, I believe this is true and I believe... You would agree with me. In this world, people are seeking material things like crazy. And the problem is, in the seeking of all these material things, there's never any satisfaction. Because the house that was the newest and the best last week, next week becomes second place. And so if the desire is always to have the best and the newest, there's always a newer, best, and newest. And it's this endless journey, this treadmill of accumulating, and we're seeking and we're seeking and we're seeking and we're driving and we're working and we're earning and we're spending, but at the end of it all, there's a Rolling Stone song, I Can't Get No Satisfaction, Right? It's an illusion. It's false. It's vapor. It's fake. And yet in our society, people are chasing and chasing and chasing, and their finances are chaotic. It's a state of chaos. And God's inviting us to order our finances around him. And it begins with this habit of tithing that I believe is the first step in conquering the tyranny of materialism in our life and the desire to have more and more in which there's no satisfaction. If you believe God satisfies, say amen. If a million dollars satisfies more than God, say amen. Boy, that, I'm glad you didn't say amen. That made me feel bad. But the habit's leading us somewhere too. God's leading. The, the end is not simply the tithe it's not like, well, once I start tithing, it's like paying dues. And if I can pay my dues this month, then, then I'll make it to heaven when I die. And it's, you know, it's, it's like you know, paying a bill. Tithing's leading to somewhere. And the habit of tithing leads to generosity. 
God's trying to get us to be a people who understand that everything belongs to him and it flows through us and, and he's giving us enough to support our real needs. You know, God's not selfish in saying, hey, I don't want you to eat and I don't want you to have clothes and I don't want you to have a place to live and I don't want you to take care of your real needs. But God's saying, all these things I'm giving you, I, I'm caring for you and, and could it be that I'm wanting these things to flow through you and care for others all at the same time? That somehow, I don't want you to be a bucket, but I want you to be a pipe that my blessings can just flow through. So what would happen in your life if you were to incorporate the habit of tithing? I guess, what, what do you have to lose? To be honest, there, there's some that, that may be in a place where you know, you've tried everything else, you've tried every other financial planner, maybe it's time to... Just try what God says. In Malachi, it says, bring the whole tithe into the storehouse and there, that there may be food in my house. Test me in this, says the Lord Almighty, and see if I will not throw open the floodgates of heaven and pour out so much blessing that you will not have enough room for it. I got to tell you, as a pastor, I don't take this as saying, hey, if you tithe this week, you're going to win the lottery. <laughs> I think that's seeking, still seeking the wrong thing. But I can say this, I believe by, by the habit of tithing, God can align our hearts with his. And the blessing that God can pour out in our lives may be that those things that we thought we needed, we don't need. See, I believe there's a blessing in giving back to God. Can I, can I say something kind of radical? God wants your money. God doesn't need your money. But God wants your money because your heart and your money oftentimes are connected. And oftentimes we can see what we love if we just look at our checkbook, where we spend our money and our time. One last thing before we close. and You know what it means when a pastor says in conclusion? Absolutely nothing. Tithing's about trusting. And I'll leave it to those of you who are struggling with this concept. Um, you know, I, I believe the principle is 10%, I do. And I believe that's the starting point for the believers. But, but maybe you're struggling trying to figure out, and, and you know, I, I will leave it between you and God. On Sometimes people have to take baby steps. And maybe it means, well, you know, let's start at 2% or 1%. And, 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 you know, I believe our God's big enough to allow people to kind of move through a process of, of placing their trust in him. And, you know, I don't stand before you as God and say, hey, there's an amount you have to give. And that, that's between you and God. It is. I mean, the principle's clear in the Bible. If, if somebody can find me scripture that overrides what, what the scripture says, I'd I, I, really consider it, but the scripture is pretty clear. But, but I also believe there's this process where God leads us to a greater understanding and a greater faith. And so I'd encourage you to pray, to think about this, to allow God to, to move in your life and, and give you some direction. And, and maybe there's some baby steps that God is calling you to make. I want you to know, in this past year, it's been hard for Terry and I. We've... Um, We've supported two households, and uh, 
you know, we have the apartment and then that house. And, and there's been times, stand with me, I'm almost done. There's been times where it would be easy not to tithe. I want you to understand that, that when I preach this message to you, I'm not preaching from a position where it's easy. I have the same struggles that you have. And there's times that you think, you know, Terry and I have come to the end of a month and we're in the beginning of a month and we've thought, how are we going to make it this month? And we've continued to tithe. And, you know, God's not given us a big windfall. But can I tell you, my God is faithful and true. There's times when the books didn't balance, but my God always balances. And so the truth of it is, some of you may be struggling with this, and I understand that. Folks, this is where we live. You know, Jesus talks about money a lot, material things a lot, because this is where we live. You know, we, we could talk about loving people all we want. Yeah, love everybody. But when we start talking about money sometimes, that's real stuff. <laughs> We're going to pray. I, I never know how to close services where we talk about tithing. I feel like we should take another offering. Uh, <laughs> Harold Green told me in the first service, you didn't give me enough space to say amen when you said that, Pastor. Uh, but we're not. You know, th this is the kind of the message. Folks, th there's no guilt here. I, I, I have no idea who gives what in this church. The, 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 if you give the stamp, the, the signature you saw on your form was a stamp. I don't know. I purposely choose, and, and some pastors want to know, I don't. I, I don't know who gives and who doesn't give, and so don't ever think that somehow I'm, I favor people. I, I, I don't know. And so there, there's no guilt. There, there's no condemnation from me. All, all I'm asking is pray about this. Pray, look, at, look at your checkbook. Look, look at your financial state. And, and, and pray and ask God, God, is, is there something here that, that maybe I need to examine in my life? Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, we love you and we praise you and we thank you for the gift of life. We're thankful for jobs and finances and all the things that you give us, all the good gifts. And I pray, Lord, that we'll be good stewards of all that you've invested in us. Not just so that we can have more, Lord, but so we can give more. Lord, I, I believe the word where it says, to whom much is given, much is expected. And Lord, when I consider who we are, not just in this place, but in this country, You've given us much. So help us, Lord, to be aware of that and give back in a manner that is worthy of the gift that's been given to us. Bless each person who's been here today, Lord. And Lord, if there's been anything that I've said that's been wrong or anything that, that's not pleasing to you, may your Holy Spirit correct. Lord, may there be no false sense of guilt in this place, no, no false regrets or no any kind of uh, emotional arm twisting going on, Lord, but may we just reasonably consider together what your word allows in our life. And Lord, may we live in the fullness of that allowance. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. God bless.